We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maria. This is a evening of recollection, which is live streamed, sponsored by the Goddess of New Jersey in collaboration with Our Lady of Victory Parish. A few words about the Goddess. It is the Latin word which means ambassador, and the Goddess was founded by the famous pizza mogul. Tom Monahan, in order to support Catholic business leaders to be ambassadors for Christ in the business world. The purpose of the goddess is to translate the church's social teaching into the world of economy, business, marketing, etc. The goddess meets once a month for confessions, mass, and then an evening with it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. And enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, Grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The theme of this evening of recollection is what does Fatima have to do with Portland? And as the evening begins to unfold, I think you'll see what it does have to do. St. Paul gives us the warning in Ephesians 6, verse 12, when he tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The revelation that is given to us in the Bible opens with the book of Genesis describing this struggle, which is not against flesh and blood, although it begins there. Genesis 3, it speaks of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. And this theme of spiritual combat persists throughout the Old and the New Testament. And in fact, the Bible closes with the same 
theme in the book of Revelation, speaking as it does in chapter 12, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and she is with child. And then it speaks of a dragon with seven heads and ten horns, who is about to devour that child. Speaking of Christ, this mystical body of the church. And so all of Scripture is punctuated by this message, which begins at the very core of creation, ending with the book of the Apocalypse or the Revelation about spiritual combat. Watching the evening news at times, I think there comes over us a strange melancholy, the feeling that something near and dear to you may in fact be slowly dying. And it is. A culture, a civilization, which is truly a living thing, built as it is on that living intimacy of blood and love which we know is the family. Which, if things continue the way they do, threatens to become a chaos of fragmented relationships without commitment. And without commitment, there is little warmth. There is no future. There is no security. The ancient Greek tragedian Euripides puts it this way. There is no greater sorrow on earth than the loss of one's native land. And by native land, he means everything that's part of our life, our way of life, our way of worship. Hardly anything dear is recognizable anymore. We are often made to feel as though we're strangers in a strange land, like Odysseus yearning to go home. Growing up as each of us did in an age of faith, we now strangely find ourselves aging in an era of unbelief. The comfort of old securities is shoved aside. Old beliefs are belittled. Our old heroes are degraded. Their portraits, their statues, statues torn down, defaced, smashed. What was shameful and degrading in the past and better not mentioned has now become the subject of rights and paraded streets. Sins formerly unmentionable are now touted as virtues, and the old virtues are now seen as defenses, offenses against political incorrectness. It's what Shakespeare described in Macbeth. Foul is fair, and fair is foul. Or what 
The prophet Isaiah warns us against, beware of those who call evil good and good evil. <clears throat> you get some idea of the seismic shift that has occurred. Just watching as you have been these last few days, the Senate hearings on Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Just 33 years ago, her mentor and guide, a strict constitutional constructualist, Justice Antonin Scalia, for whom she clerked, was approved unanimously by the Senate with not one single vote of either party opposing his appointment to the Supreme Court. And now, 33 years later, his protege, who thinks and judges as he did, cannot garner a single vote from the opposing party. What has happened in these last 33 years to cause such a seismic divide? Our Lord himself had something to say about how truth not only unites, but sometimes divides us. When he says, father will be against mother, mother against daughter, father against son, brother against brother. The fact is, that with these 33 years behind us, we can no longer rest assured that we all hold these same hallowed truths dearly. For the last four months, there have been over 650 riots in more than 140 different locations in our country. 65 cops have been killed in the line of duty since the beginning of this present year. 53 shootings occur in Chicago on just a given weekend. And over a thousand shot in New York and Brooklyn since January the 1st. Portland, Seattle, Kenosha, Minneapolis, New York, the list goes on and on. And the damage done by all this burning and looting is estimated to be in the billions of dollars, unprecedented in U.S. history, even worse than the race riots of the late 60s. So much for peaceful protest. Dear people, the country is on fire, and it is not because of global warming. Where is all of this rancor and division coming from? The tragic death of George Floyd was the immediate per se cause. It was the tip of the iceberg. But notice as soon as the protests morphed into murder and mayhem, the name of George Floyd was conveniently forgotten. 
You haven't heard it in months. Because it is not the real reason, it has become now the pretext for some, an excuse for others. The ideological engine that propels this violence can be seen in the websites of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. There you will find a clear and bold commitment to Marxist ideology, as well as the destruction of the nuclear family, even though some of these original sites have now been sanitized because there is danger that these groups will lose their funding from their biggest benefactors. Historically, Marxist revolutions, of which this is akin, have always succeeded by fomenting class warfare, the haves against the have-nots, the peasants against the bourgeoisie, but now the strategy is a bit more subtle, including what it calls the long march through the institutions, principally through the citadels of education, beginning especially in the universities, but then trickling down to those younger, and then through the control of news media outlets. We know that ideas have consequences. The murder and mayhem in the streets are the consequences of some very powerfully toxic ideas. Where are they coming from? To be sure, they're not coming from the gospel or the social teaching of the church. Instead, they have originated in the famous Frankfurt School of Goethe University, where before World War II, philosophers, sociologists, psychologists, etc., committed to Marxist ideology, devised ways by which social revolution would also unfold through a war of ideas, powerful ideas. They gathered in the city of Frankfurt, finding positions on the faculty of Goethe University. When the Nazis came into power in January of 1933, many of these academics were forced to flee Germany, many of them to Moscow, and a good number of them coming to the United States and finding teaching positions in places like Columbia, Berkeley, University of Chicago, and other places. They took with them their Marxist ideology and what they called critical theory. What is critical theory? Critical theory holds that there is no received tenet, belief, or value however accepted and revered through the centuries, that should not be questioned, examined, attacked, 
and even debunked. I would say that it's critical theory that is exploding in our streets. When you've been taught to hate your country, to see it as historically illegitimate, fatally flawed, racist founded on white privilege, sexist, and in dire need of fundamental transformation, to quote a previous president, then there cannot be any higher moral crusade than to bring about the deconstruction of those basic institutions of that country so as to begin all over again. Critical theory, which began in the Frankfurt School, has taken many disguises in many terms over the centuries. It begins with what is called critical race theory. What is critical race theory? Critical race theory holds that the United States is systemically, intrinsically racist to its core. That all white people, regardless of their economic status, whether they're poor or rich, see themselves as privileged and superior to people of color. Critical race theory holds that racism is part of everything, every social institution, even including religions, and it calls for it to be rooted out, if necessary, by force and by violence. Even the looting you see in the streets these days, just turn on the news any evening. The looting is seen as a form of occult compensation for everything people of color have been denied. In most universities, courses in critical race theory are required of every incoming freshman. It is even found in the curriculum of West Point Academy, where you would think young officers sworn to defend the country are now taught through these critical race courses to defend what is at root indefensible. It is a recipe for insanity. Another part of critical theory, besides critical race theory, is called critical gender theory, which maintains that all sexual and gender identity is a product of social constructs, that male and female are arbitrary distinctions based upon societal expectations. In fact, a person himself or herself determines with what gender they choose to identify. And in fact, the theory goes on to hold that male and female are not the only variants. The theory holds that there are some 65 gender variants from which a person can choose. 
It's enough to spin your head. A public school in Buffalo, New York, has incorporated Black Lives Matter propaganda into its curriculum for the elementary school children. Not only are the children taught that they cannot say all lives matter, but they're also taught to question the importance of their nuclear family, to consider the alternative of what is called collective villages, or as we know them, social communes, whose primary task is to take care of the young. Therefore, the role of mother and father is not absolutely necessary. This very toxic idea can be subtly found in Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. All this we know is clearly contrary to the natural moral law which God has built into the very plan of creation and to which man must conform if he's to expect some measure of well-being in this life and eternal happiness in the life to come. It comes down to this. Either God is God, or man is God. If man creates himself, then man is God. And man can continually construct his own nature, his own sexual identity. He can continually deconstruct and reconstruct what marriage is. The ultimate purpose of critical theory which is occurrent in educational circles today. And if you don't believe me, look at the textbooks from which your children are studying. Look at the courses where your older children are studying in colleges and universities. Critical theory is to deconstruct or tear down the structure and order presently holding society together, including the nuclear family of a man, a woman, husband, wife, and children, to deconstruct that and then begin to reconstruct a new social order, a Marxist utopia in which all distinctions eventually disappear, where the highest authority is not God, but the ever-expanding state. For if there are no absolutes, including God, as Marxism holds, then man does whatever the majority or the most powerful want. But we know what the Bible teaches from the very outset. God made them, male and female, he made them in his own image and likeness. You might ask yourself, who's footing the bill for all of this confusion? Much of it is coming from a man called George Soros, funneled through his One Society Foundation. A word about Soros. 
Soros, as you know, is a Hungarian Jew. His real name is not Soros. Together with his father, they made billions of dollars collaborating with Nazis during World War II in the confiscation of properties owned by their fellow Hungarian Jews who were arrested and sent to gas chambers. That's where the Soros family began. That's where it amalgamated its wealth. The main protagonists in this struggle are groups called Antifa and BLM with their usual cast of characters from the radical left. Socialists, Marxists, anarchists, but also with this addition, radical Islamic jihadists who show their willingness to collaborate. If we had time, I could show the philosophical matrix from which all of these groups share their life's blood. There's no time. But this thing they do share entirely, to bring down Western society and to replace it with an international caliphate on the part of jihadists or Marxists with a socialist utopia. But all of this should come to no surprise to fervent practicing Catholics. Our Lord's own words recorded in the New Testament should have prepared us for this. And also for almost 200 years now, the Blessed Virgin Mary has been appearing, usually to simple unlettered folk, especially simple, uneducated shepherd children, warning them of what would happen if the world did not repent and return to God and recover its sanity. The most specific and detailed of these warnings was made in 1917, <clears throat> excuse me, to three illiterate shepherd children in Portugal. It all began May the 13th. I might add that my father was born on May 13, 1917. And I like to think that by the time he drew his first breath, the air on this earth had already been sweetened by the presence of the Mother of Christ. Without the lens of Fatima, it is almost impossible, I would say, to grasp fully what has happened in our world during the last century, and most especially what has happened in the church. For the present crisis is admitted by many historians to be worse even than the Protestant revolt of the 16th century, which was limited to a group of countries in Western Europe for the most part. What the church is facing today in the crisis that rocks it from top to bottom is a global crisis. For those who accept the truths of the events of Fatima and elsewhere, it is hard not to see that heaven itself 
has been continuously warning us of the dangers that lay ahead. What was the world like in 1917? It was a time when it seemed that many men had all but forgotten God. Seven years before, in 1910, Portugal had suffered a godless revolution. The Catholic King Carlos and his son Alfonso, the heir apparent, were both assassinated. A revolutionary government made up of socialists, Marxist sympathizers, Freemasons, anti-clericals of all sorts, took over. And immediately they set out to persecute the Catholic Church and to secularize Portuguese society. That is, to sanitize, to wipe it clean of any vestige of God. The churches were, de were, were desecrated. The Cardinal Patriarch of Lisbon, together with other bishops, were exiled. Seminaries were closed. Priests and religious were forbidden to wear the cassock or the religious habit in public. All of the properties owned by the church were expropriated by this revolutionary government. Divorce was legalized, and only civil marriage was recognized. The revolutionists openly boasted that in a few years there would be no more priests left in Portugal at all. By 1917, you will remember your history, Europe was convulsing from the shocks of World War I which Pope Benedict XV described as the suicide of Christendom. Christian nations were killing each other. Catholic countries were slaughtering each other. Even Portugal, tiny Portugal, was drawn into the war. By the time it was over, 17 million were killed and 20 million seriously wounded or permanently maimed. The violence of World War I was destroying what little remained of an already fractured Christian Europe. The fabric of Christian civilization would be further shredded, creating a vacuum that would soon be filled by Marxist and Masonic revolutionaries who were determined to wipe out what remained of a Christian culture that stood in their way of seizing power. Three years earlier, in 1914, Pope St. Pius X had tried so hard to avert the war, and when all of his efforts proved futile, he is said to have died of a broken heart in August of that same year. On March the 17th, 1917, Two months before the Fatima apparitions began, Tsar Nicholas I of Russia was forced to abdicate by pressure of the Bolshevik-Leninist revolutionaries. And in November 1917, just one month 
after the famous miracle of the sun in October, the bloody Bolshevik revolution broke out in Moscow, eventually spreading like a hydra, engulfing almost half the people of the world. <clears throat> in the weeks that followed Tsar Nicholas's abdication, the entire imperial Romanov family, Tsar Nicholas, the Tsarina, Alexandra, his wife, and their five children, were all murdered in Katerinburg, where their bodies were eventually found at the bottom of a well. On May the 5th, 1917, just nine days before the first apparition at Fatima, Pope Benedict XV began a novena, asking all the faithful of the world to join him in prayer to Mary, the Queen of Peace, to end the war. On the last day of that novena, May the 13th, Our Lady appeared to the three shepherd children, offering mankind a cure for all the moral and social ills that afflicted the world. It was heaven's peace plan. And if ignored, it would mean the ruin of countless souls. She revealed to the children the desire of her immaculate heart, which she wanted the whole world to hear. Pray, she said, especially the rosary. Repent and turn back to God, or the world would face a horrible chastisement. She also asked the children to make sacrifices for the conversion of sinners and to make reparation. And so following Our Lady's appeal, I will now expose the Blessed Sacrament. And as I place it on the altar here, we will sing the O Salutaris and then begin the Rosary.
God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. The first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. O oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. The second sorrowful mystery, the scourging at the pillar. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. The third sorrowful mystery, the crowning of thorns. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. The fourth sorrowful mystery, the carrying of the cross. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. The fifth sorrowful mystery, the crucifixion and death of our Lord on the cross. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry for banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. 
Let us pray. O God, whose only begotten Son, by his life, death, and resurrection, has purchased for us the rewards of eternal salvation, grant we beseech thee that while meditating upon these mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we may imitate what they contain and obtain what they promise through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. For the intentions of the Holy Father to gain the plenary indulgence. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. We stand for the Immaculate Mary. That 13th of May, 1917, was a beautiful Sunday morning. After the three children, that is Lucia de los Santos, age nine, Francisco Marco, eight, his little sister Jacinta, barely seven, had attended Mass in their parish church of San Antonio in Fatima, they took their sheep to the Cova d'Aieria, the grassy little valley among the trees. The sun was bright, the sky without a cloud to be seen. The children all had eaten their lunch of bread and cheese, a few olives. They said their prayers and they went about running and playing as the sheep were grazing. Then, out of what seemed nowhere, a bright flash 
in the sky. They were frightened and began to run for cover, thinking that a storm was coming. Then before, on the top of a small holm oak tree, a lady clad in white, with her hands joined in prayer, appeared before them. As Lucia described her, she was a lady clothed in white, brighter than the sun, radiating a light more clear and intense than a crystal cup filled with sparkling water, lit by a burning sunlight. The lady assured them not to be afraid. They would not be harmed. She pointed to the sky and said, I come from heaven. Lucia, the spokesman, then asked her what she wanted. I have asked you to come here, she said, for the next six months on the 13th day of the month at the same hour. Later I shall say and tell you who I am and what I desire. And I shall return here yet the seventh time. Lucia then asked the lady, if they too would go to heaven. And she was told, yes, she and Jacinta would go to heaven, but Francisco would have to say many rosaries. Apparently the little fellow needed some work. The lady then asked them if they would be willing to do what the angel had first taught them the year before, namely reparation. She asked, are you willing to offer yourselves to God and bear all the sufferings he wills to send you as a sign and an act of reparation for the conversion of sinners? Lucia spoke for all three and readily said, yes. Then the lady said, then you are going to have much to suffer, but the grace of God will be your comfort. Lucia recounted that at the same time as she said these words, the lady parted her hands, and there streamed from her hands two piercing rays of light, which engulfed each of the children, and allowed them to see themselves in the light of God. probably a foretaste of heaven. The lady finished with a request. Say the rosary every day to bring peace to the world and the end to the war. With that, she began to rise in the air, moving ever so slowly towards the east until she finally disappeared. 
Indeed, the children would have much to suffer. But as the word got out as to what happened that May 13, 1917, as you can imagine, no one would believe it. Everyone thought they were making it up to garner attention to themselves. They faced the unbelief of their own families. Lucia's mother was especially hard on her daughter. She beat her for lying. She dragged her to the local pastor, who himself would not believe her at first. They were ridiculed and spat upon by some of the neighbors. And later, even the mayor of Urim, the county seat where Fatima had its government, arrested the children for violating laws against gathering. Crowds, throngs, brought them to his office, threatened them that if they did not tell the truth, he would throw each of them in prison, which he did. And then he threatened to execute each of them, one at a time, by putting them in a cauldron of boiling oil. The simple children believed that he was going to do this. He was just bluffing. But he was very strict, and they began to cry and weep. And then he would take one and then another. But none of them would break down and change their story about what they had seen. It would happen that the younger children, Francisco and his sister Jacinta, would die within two years of the apparitions. Francesco in April of 1919 and Jacinta in February 1920 from the effects of the Spanish influenza, which as you know was sweeping through Europe and even as far here as the United States. Both of these children, for their own children, suffered terribly. Little Jacinta especially, with ulcerated lungs and ribcage from the disease. She was forced to submit to a series of surgeries which did no good. She died in a hospital many miles away from her not even surrounded by her parents who couldn't afford the fare to take them back and forth to the hospital to see their little girl. And when they were asked, does it hurt? Are you in pain, Francisco? Does it hurt, Jacinta? They would simply say, yes, but we're doing what the lady asked us offer up our sufferings and our pain for the conversion of sinners. When Jacinta was exhumed, that is her grave uncovered in 1935, almost 20 years after her death, and there are photographs of this, she was completely intact, incorruptible. Her face, her skin, 
with a rosy color. It looked like a little girl of eight years old, sleeping. The apparitions would last until October the 13th, 1917, with the miracle of the sun, which many of you know. It was witnessed by over 70,000 people, some of them unbelievers and skeptics, some of them even Marxists and Freemasons, and they all testified, and it was in the journals, almost to the detail that all of them saw the same cosmic cataclysm, as if the sun was about to crash the earth. It had been raining for days. When they came out, their, their legs were covered with mud. And then all of a sudden, when the sun came up, they were instantaneously dried. Many of them thought the sun was going to crash the earth and it would be the end of the world. They began praying out loud, confessing to each other, saying the act of contrition, until the sun began to recede in its whirlwind back into the sky, seen by 70,000 people. For the six apparitions that ensued after May, our lady revealed to them on separate occasions three secrets which the children in their simplicity hardly understood. The first unfolded on July the 13th, 1917. As she had done previously, Mary opened her hands and rays of light came forth from them, this time penetrating the surface of the earth, revealing to the children a terrible vision of hell, full of demons, lost souls, amidst indescribable horrors. The vision was so real and made such an impact on these children that for months they engaged in serious acts of penance and sacrifice for the salvation of sins. On that day of July 13th, Our Lady responded to the vision with sadness and tenderness when she told them, you just saw hell where the souls of poor sinners go. In order to save them, God wishes to establish in the world Devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If people do what I ask, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not stop offending God, another, even worse war will begin in the reign of Pius XI. When you shall see a night illuminated by an unknown light, Know that this is the great sign that God gives you, that he is going to punish the world for its many crimes by means of war, hunger, and persecution of the Church and the Holy Father. This was the prediction for the immense evil to come upon humanity from Russia's abandoning its legacy of Christianity to embrace communism. In 1917, no one had any clue that this was about to take place. Not even some of the greatest political minds of the time. The children were so simple. 
so uneducated that they thought Russia, imagine, was the name of a bad woman in the village. Notice what Our Lady says, tells them that another war, worse one, would come if the people did not repent. And she gives them a sign, which they never saw because they died long before this was to be verified. She said, when you shall see a knight illuminated by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign that God gives you, that he is going to punish the world for its many crimes by means of the war. Now that would happen some 20 years later, long after the two youngest were and Lucia was already in Carmel. It would happen on January 25th and 26th in 1938. And it would start at 9 p.m. and end the next morning at 7 a.m. A great northern light in the skies was seen throughout the world, even as far as the Western Hemisphere. Here in the United States it was also seen. Canada, Alaska. It was what scientists called the Aurora Borealis. It is the shimmering of polar lights resulting from the disturbance of the Earth's magnetosphere. And it's caused by violent solar winds on the surface of the sun. That was the unknown light which illuminated which was a sign that this worst war was about to begin. Keep in mind, it was January 1938. Two months later, March of 1938, Nazi tanks rolled into Poland, marking the beginning of World War II. And as Our Lady had predicted to the children, the Pope of the The second secret that Our Lady entrusted to the children was her request that Russia be consecrated to her Immaculate Heart so that the spreading of her errors would cease. Although there has been controversy as to whether or not this has been fulfilled as Our Lady directed, it is held by many that it has. When Pope St. John Paul II, together with the majority of the world's bishops, consecrated the whole world, including Russia, in St. Peter's Square in 1984. The third secret is also controversial. It was known only to the children, and then later given to Pope Pius XII by Sister Lucia in the 1950s. It was the account of a man dressed in white, climbing a hill where people were dying on both sides of him, being struck in battle until finally he mounts the summit of that hill and he himself is killed. 
There are many who hold that this referred to the assassination, the attempted assassination of Pope John Paul II in 1981. The content of this third secret also remains the subject of controversy with many challenging whether or not the secret was revealed in its entirety. Many believe that the secret was not revealed in its entirety, but there were parts of this third secret which were never revealed, and for good reason. Some hold that it revealed the deconstruction of the liturgy after the Second Vatican Council as well as the outbreak of dissidents within the church from theologians, bishops, and cardinals, quick to compromise the doctrine of the faith, especially by wrongful pastoral practices which undermine the doctrine of the faith. This is what was not revealed. Many think that this was included in the third secret. Whatever the truth is, there are hints of this in subsequent letters written by Sister Lucia to Cardinal Carlo Caffara over 36 years ago. As Cardinal Caffara was collaborating with John Paul II of the Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family, Sister Lucia wrote to him concerning what many believe to have been the unspoken content of part of this third secret. This is what she wrote to Kafara, who's about to take over the reins of the Institute, the JP2 Institute on Marriage and the Family. The final battle, Lucia says, between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, she added, because anyone who operates for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be contended and opposed in every way, because this is, she says, the decisive issue. And then she concluded, however, Our Lady has already crushed its head. Many believe that this is been unfolding for the last 40 years or so. Certainly in our time, when the institute that John Paul II founded on marriage and the family was dismantled under the present pontificate, the trusted rector and the solid faculty members removed and replaced by those who propose changing the Church's teaching on contraception and homosexual relationships, thereby undoing completely the work of St. John Paul II. We know that the greatest threat to the family is abortion, because it destroys the love between the husband and the wife. And the living sign of that love is the child. You know that something is wrong, dear people. When 
a Cardinal Archbishop here in the United States, publicly claims that there is no problem of conscience in voting for a presidential candidate who professes to be a Catholic and who promises unfettered abortion access up to and including the last nanosecond before delivery. When that same prelate says there's no problems of conscience to vote for such a candidate, the candidate has publicly promised to bring the Little Scissors of the Poor, for instance, back to court to force them to pay for abortifacients and contraceptives in the healthcare programs of their employees. One little sister of the court says, if this election doesn't go right, we're gonna be back in court. I said, back in court? You're gonna be back in France. There will be no little sisters of the poor here in the United States left because you couldn't possibly maintain these institutions doing something like that. You'd sell your conscience for a pot of porridge. Pope Benedict XVI himself in recent years has also referred to this part of the third secret, hitherto not made known to the public, as being somehow connected with the crises afflicting the church in our time. As Cardinal, Ratzinger likened the third secret of Fatima as a sequel in the message of Our Lady given to Sister Agnes Sasakawa in Akita, Japan, on October the 13th, this day, 1973. This is what Our Lady told that Japanese nun, who was completely deaf. Sister Agnes couldn't hear anything. And yet as she's praying before this small wooden statue of Our Lady, the statue begins to weep begins to bleed. Then it begins to exude a beautiful smelling ointment. It was tested in laboratories. None of it superimposed. Cameras were on it as this exuding of these liquids began. No one could have manipulated that statue in any way. This is what Our Lady told Sister Agnes Sesakawa. As I told you, if men do not repent and better themselves, the Father will inflict a terrible punishment on all humanity. It will be a punishment greater than the deluge, such as one will never have seen before. Fire will fall from the sky and wipe out a great part of humanity, the good as well as the bad sparing neither priests nor faithful. The survivors will find themselves so desolate that they will envy the dead. The only arms that will remain for you will be the rosary. The only guns, the arms, will be the rosary. With the rosary, pray for the Pope, the bishops, and the priests. The work of the devil will infiltrate even to the church in such a way that one will see cardinals opposing cardinals. Do you see this now?
bishops against bishops. The priests who venerate me will be scorned and opposed by their confreres. Churches and altars will be sacked. They were in the Middle East. The church will be filled with those who accept compromises, and the demon will press many priests and consecrated persons to leave the service of the Lord. These warnings were quite similar to those given by Our Lady at La Salette in the French Alps in 1846, again to shepherd children, unlettered, ignorant children, Melody Calvat and Maxime Giraud. But it bears a special similarity with what occurred 400 years ago in 1610, the apparitions of Our Lady to the Conceptionist Poor Claire Nunn, Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres, in her cloister in Quito, Ecuador. Those appearances and the messages have also been approved by the Church. Mother Mariana, the abbess, has been declared venerable and in the process towards Savior. When her body was exhumed many years after her death, she was found completely incorrupt and an odor like the fragrance of lilies came forth from her tomb. In those apparitions, Our Lady warned that not only would Satan try to destroy her monastery in Gito by insinuating discord and evil, but also in the 20th century to come, the Christian culture that gave rise to Western civilization would be the target, it's our time, would be the target of severe satanic attack. Among the things she warned of were the following. Widespread apostasy. What is apostasy? The abandoning of faith on the part of Christians in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, as our Lord and Redeemer. Sacrilege is widespread, she said, in the 20th century against the Most Holy Eucharist with many receding in a state of mortal sin. And one can only think of the recent exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, which sanctions, imagine, sanctions the reception of Holy Communion by those in adulterous second unions who are divorced and remarried outside the Church. It's unheard of. She also said there would be a demise of the sacrament of penance on the part of the negligence of those in pastoral authority. How many Catholics these days go to confession? Frequently. Or at least once a year. And yet so many continue to receive Holy Communion without even the benefit of sacramental absolution. She goes on to predict the corruption of youth through false secular education. She said that many would die without the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Many are these days. Many don't even ask for it. 
The sacrament of matrimony, which symbolizes the union of Christ with his church, will be attacked and profaned, and many will live together without the sacrament. Cohabitation has increased almost a thousand percent in the last 15, 20 years. People living together, playing house as though they're married. There will be a crisis in the priesthood, she predicted, with the sacrament of holy orders ridiculed and despised. The devil will deviate many from their vocations and corrupt them. These depraved priests, she says, will scandalize the Christian people and will increase hatred from the enemies of the church and Catholics who have fallen away from the faith. Innocence will almost no longer be found among children, nor modesty to be found among women. The spirit of impurity will saturate the atmosphere. Like a filthy ocean, it will inundate the streets, squares, public places with an astonishing liberty. There will almost be no longer any virgin souls in the world. And without virgin souls in the world, where will you find consecrated women who will profess the evangelical counsel? Those who should speak out will suddenly fall silent. And as a proof of these warnings, Our Lady predicted that Ecuador would have a truly Catholic president who would dedicate the entire country to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, but he would not live long. His presidency would be short-lived he would be assassinated in the public square, which occurred in the square just outside the monastery in Quito. 1875, President Gabriel Garcia Morales, an exemplary Catholic, was assassinated, as Our Lady had predicted. What can we do? We feel overwhelmed, like trying to hold back the wind. It's like trying to command the waves. We're not Christ. First of all, I think it would be foolish and dangerous for any Catholic to simply dismiss these apparitions of Our Lady because they are not part of the divine public revelation contained in Scripture and tradition, and therefore not part of the deposit of faith. Many saints and popes, learned theologians, doctors of the Church, have placed credibility in them. Nothing in them contradicts the message of the Bible or the words of our Lord. And in light of all that has happened, it would be reckless on the part of any one of us to dismiss these apparitions as being fanciful. Our Lady was clear in her messages that each one of us must do what he or she can. And each of us can pray. The Rosary is a very powerful prayer. It doesn't have to be said perfectly. 
Yes, will you be distracted? Of course. Bring your mind back to the mystery. Commit to saying it each day. And say it with members of your family, if, not, if at all possible. Prayer is the most powerful weapon to combat the spread of evil. But prayer alone is not sufficient. Prayer must be fired up with the charcoal, with the wood of sacrifices, of mortifications, of fasting, acts of penance. You remember that episode when some of the disciples of our Lord could not dispossess a young boy of the devil. And our Lord came along and cured the boy of his possession. And the disciples said, Master, how come we couldn't do it? And he said, these devils can only be expelled by prayer and fasting. Fasting is not easy, and it's not popular, and it's not dieting, to be sure, but it's necessary. Prayer and fasting. Every family here, most everything, and most families listening to me on the live stream, are afflicted with some kind of deviation from God's plan for our happiness. Could be children who no longer practice the faith, living with someone outside of marriage, or if married, neglecting to have their children baptized, perhaps living an alternate lifestyle as we know what that is. Problems with drugs and drink, it's all there in living color. We need to pray, especially for the immediate world around us. You need to avoid the defeatist attitude which says, the world has changed, there's nothing I can do about it, I need to adjust myself, I need to accept what's happening. I'll do it. Times do change. People also change, and sometimes for the better. But if someone is hanging over the precipice of a cliff, the most progressive direction is backward. If the clock is not telling proper time, you have to move the arms, sometimes backward. Truth doesn't change. Christ doesn't change. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. All these apparitions are messages, warnings, that at the root of it all is the loss of souls, including those who we love. We are indeed in the midst of a spiritual combat, a cultural war. John Paul II identified the sides in this struggle. He says, on the one side is a culture of love and its natural fruit, which is life, versus an anti-culture of pride, selfishness, 
and its bitter fruit, which is death. A culture of faith and belief in a personal God versus an anti-culture of unbelief, or at least practical atheism, where God has been dethroned. A culture of light versus an anti-culture of darkness, the killing fields, the moral wasteland, hardly worth living in, and surely not worth dying for. Finally, after we have done all that we can do, however modest it may be in our own eyes, but maybe not modest in God's eyes, then we can count on that consolation that comes from prayer and trustfully putting ourselves in the heart of God's providence. Before I recite those words of Philippians chapter 4, let me ask all of you, from this day forward until November the 3rd and after, because it's not going to be decided, until after, to say the rosary every single day. And to fire it up with the charcoal of penance, sacrifices, even fasting, if you can. St. Paul leaves us with these words. Dismiss all anxiety from your minds. Present your needs to God in every form of prayer and in petitions full of gratitude. Then God's own peace, which is beyond all understanding, will stand guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In a few moments, I will pray the consecration of our country to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and then we'll join in the Confirmation.
Christians and Queen and Beauty of Carmel. Enfold the Holy Father and the Catholic Church within your protective cloak. Be our shield in the days ahead. Give the Church true holiness and freedom. Obtain for our leaders holy zeal, the ability to face the truth, and the courage to correct all abuses. Stop the flood of atheism, greed, heresy, impurity, lukewarmness, materialism, and selfishness that threaten our nation. Show to those who have strayed from the faith the way back to our Lord Jesus Christ. Mother of God, accept our personal consecration to you, and through you, bind us forever to the most blessed Trinity. Gather us all into your immaculate heart, and unite us forever with Jesus. O Mary, conceive without sin. Amen.
Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Blessed be His holy name. Blessed be His holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be His most sacred heart. Blessed be His most sacred heart. Blessed be His most precious blood. Blessed be His most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete. Blessed be the great 